Is gentrification a good thing? And why might affordable rate housing not be the best solution in certain low-income neighborhoods? Find out next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. And today I'm joined by founder and CEO of Chicago-based real estate developer Urban Equities, Lennox Jackson. Lennox has over 30 years of experience and a portfolio of projects spread across several opportunity zones on Chicago's South Side. He joins me today from his office in Chicago, Illinois. Lennox, thanks for coming on the show and welcome. Thank you very much, Jimmy, for having me today. Absolutely. I think this is an important conversation we're about to have about low-income communities on Chicago's South Side, some of the most distressed communities in the country. But uh, before we get into that, tell me a little bit about what you're doing with Urban Equities. Tell me about Urban Equities and what, what services your company provides and what projects are in Urban Equities portfolio. I founded uh, Urban Equities in 1993. Uh, it is a real estate development and advisory service firm. Uh, recognized for executing real estate and construction solutions for projects. We deliver project and development services also for clients uh, for both the pre-construction and construction execution phases. So what that simply means is uh, we outsource some of our technical skill sets to those who uh, have gaps along those lines and need assistance. Since 1993, we have been involved in a variety of transactions, including um, for sale, single family homes, um, two flats, which here in Chicago are two family residences, uh, as well as uh, larger uh, developments. Uh, We've done work directly under our own account, as well as we've been, we've participated in partnerships uh, with larger companies, including what is formerly the LR Development Company now is referred to as Related Midwest. I should point out that prior to me starting the company in 93, I was uh, employed as a development officer for a now defunct company by the name of Citylands Corporation, which was the for-profit development arm of the former Shorebank Corporation. So Shorebank uh, Corporation back in the President Clinton days Uh, was designed to rebuild and um, strengthen inner city communities, which are now referred to as opportunity zones. So there, um, I got baptized in the low-income housing tax credit uh, industry, uh, syndicating tax credits to support low-income housing uh, redevelopment of large, vacant, distressed apartment buildings on Chicago's South Side. So I share that story there about my time at Citylands Corporation because it helps to inform folks about why I started Urban Equities. Uh, There's a clear tie-in between what I formerly did at Citylands and what I'm now doing uh, and have done for over 25 years with with Urban Equity. So in simple terms, we work to rebuild uh, and strengthen what are now referred to as Opportunity Zone Communities. What uh, what gentrification concerns do you have about the the Opportunity Zones program? That's been one of the biggest criticisms of the program to date. And and what steps 
can be taken by developers, investors, and community leaders to help limit resident displacement? Well, see here, you know, um, this may uh, conjure up a, a, a few, uh, this may cause a few eyebrows to go up. I'm, I'm not a Republican. I'm not always a Democrat either, but I will say this, that um, I believe gentrification is a good thing. Now, in many circles, folks um, equate gentrification along racial lines. I, that may or may not be true. But I prefer to think of gentrification along economic lines and educational lines. Now, we need in these communities, Bronzeville in particular, the median household income in Bronzeville is less than $30,000. Over 30% of the residents in Bronzeville live in subsidized housing. So when retailers who are considering this marketplace, want, when they go to the data, they're not seeing spending capacity. And so we've got to change that. The same thing applies in Inglewood, Austin, and other uh, Avalon Park, Roseland. We need money. We need higher incomes from households that will move into these communities. Why is that such a big deal? Well, what that does, it it increases the amount of cash or income in circulation. It it enables um, retailers to develop that confidence necessary to take a risk and open up a store, which then in turn hires someone from the neighborhood, which in turn strengthens the community. We can't do that without gentrification. And so... um, you know, I really believe that we've got to look at balanced development. We, we're we not looking, and now my, my position here is not one to suggest that I'm talking about displacement. I'm simply saying it's and and both. I'm saying that we need the current residents who need some assistance and therefore live in subsidized housing. But we need to kind of pull back from doing those deals. Uh, you know, as much as I started my career doing low-income housing, low-income housing tax credit deals, that is not an affordable way to deliver affordable housing. It takes a lot of freaking money to deliver tax credit rental housing. We could use those resources much differently and create what I would refer to as workforce rental housing. And those are folks who are getting up every day, going to work, and trying to make ends meet. They are oftentimes recently, uh, recent college graduates who are just starting their lives out. We need to give those folks a a leg up. We need to provide them with uh, a community that is economically healthy and balanced. And the only way to achieve that is to attract, retain, and retain uh, households that uh, generate uh, higher household incomes. So I may have gotten I may have gotten me in a little bit of trouble with my response, but I'm hoping people understand where I'm coming from. Well, you're not in any trouble with me. I understand what you're saying. I think gentrification is a really charged word, and it it yes. its definition changes depending on on where you're coming from, and and it can mean a couple of different things too. It a lot of people. In in a way, I don't know. I've I've referred to it uh, with some of my friends as 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 being a dirty word for revitalization. I think you if when you when you refer to economic revitalization, and that's kind of the 
entire goal of the Opportunity Zones program, everybody agrees, oh yeah, we need economic revitalization. Well, economic revitalization can be equated to gentrification. But but I think what we're really trying to avoid is is resident displacement, and and yes. oftentimes the topic of resident displacement gets conflated with the term gentrification. So I think gentrification is good, or it can be good if thought of in the correct way. But it's the resident yes. displacement that we want to avoid. Yes, and unfortunately, you know, some of that is well, a great part of that is uh, driven by the economic environment. Um, and it's, it's happening, even like in Woodlawn, you know, when the announcement was made about where the Obama presidential library was going to be situated, the market started to take on <laughs> its own energy and personality. And so what, the, what, it, what does that mean in real basic terms? That means that investors, many of whom are not even located in, this, in the state of Illinois, started buying up real estate. Uh, multifamily apartment buildings. And over time, uh, they're going to be charging rents at levels that are prohibitive for from people who are currently living in some of those buildings. And which is why in some circles, there's conversation now about a rent, rent control policies uh, in Chicago, because there is such a need for affordable uh, rental housing. But I don't, I'm of the opinion that we don't need the same level of attention given to subsidized housing versus affordable workforce rental housing. That's different. And that's what you're pushing for is more affordable workforce rental housing. Yes. Yes. And folks who can pay the fair market rent, and again, using the word fair, right? And so this is where um, me personally and my company as a culture has tried to maintain a, a mindset, you know, of we're capitalists, capitalists with a heart. Uh, and what I try to communicate in that is, you know, if I can't, if the company can't earn revenue and, theref and therefore a profit, we can't exist and we can't employ people and therefore we can't ch make change. But there's a, there's a natural requirement, as I see it, to look for ways to create good, you know, as, as referred to good profit. Uh, how are we doing? What are we doing to change lives? What are we doing to change communities to enable them to have sustainable trajectories for long term growth and, and improvement? We play a part in that. And so we're not looking to try to charge these ridiculous rents because over time, it actually goes counter to what we're trying to do for redeveloping these communities. And tell me a little bit more about that. I, I want to hear more about your community redevelopment involvement and, and, and how are you working with local leaders and community organizations to, to deliver impact to, to the neighborhoods where you're developing? Well, we're always looking, Jimmy, for partnerships, right? And what I mean by partnerships, I'm not necessarily speaking of that in, in form of uh, equity cash partnerships, but strategic alliances with organizations that, quite frankly, are better doing certain things than we are. So, for example, we have just recently entered into a strategic alliance with um, what's called the Quad City Development Corporation, QCDC, uh, which is a not-for-profit organization in the uh, Woodlawn, Bronzeville, and Kenwood, Oakland community, uh, whereby they provide uh, professional services to help us uh, uh, identify 
and and recruit uh, commercial tenants for one of the particular properties that we're looking to develop. So here's an opportunity for us to engage uh, another boot on the ground uh, entity that is tied in with retailers who are interested in coming to the community and locally based entrepreneurs who are trying to position themselves to open up a little small business. And then we are engaging them and seeking to pay them a fee, I should add, to assist us in identifying those folks. And what that does, it it enables us to um, put ourselves in more of a position of success to get buy-in by the local community. Another uh, strategic ally that we've identified is the Bronzeville Community Development Partnership, which is 30 plus year old uh, entity um, that has just an incredible, very in-depth set of of, uh, knowledge and and understanding about the Bronzeville and Washington Park communities. Uh, We are working with them uh, to advance a number of economic and community development strategies. CAPS, which is the Community Assistance Programs Organization, uh, which is that workforce development and training entity I referenced earlier. They are working very intimately with the City Colleges of Chicago, as well as the Illinois Department of Corrections, uh, all for the purpose of helping to provide a bridge for persons that have been uh, incarcerated or persons who have been having a hard time uh, connecting with that bridge to lead them to a better life and better outcomes. So we're looking to work with these types of organizations um, so that they can bring a a perspective to the deal and to the strategy that we may overlook. Good. I think that's important to, to have partners within the community, the boots on the ground, so to speak. Yes. So I want to circle back to uh, low income housing for a moment. I'm I'm not sure if you're doing any affordable rate housing. It sounds like you're you're focused on market rate or fair market rate workforce housing, but yes. but, uh, but I know that that is a focus in in some of these opportunity zone communities of affordable rate housing that is. What what are your thoughts on on twinning the opportunity zone tax incentive with low income housing tax credits LIHTC? Well, you know, from a deal point of view, it 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 makes sense. Uh, because it provides uh, another layer of uh, the tax credits, that is, provides another layer of funding uh, to meet that capital stack, as well as it provides the opportunity zone fund investors another level of confidence uh, and safety net related to their investment. On the flip side, I would say that these communities, as I, I'm staying consistent with what I said earlier, Jimmy, these markets don't necessarily need a lot of subsidized housing. Depending on the community, it may need a little bit. But predominantly, these communities need workforce rental housing, housing that's of good quality, that can be rented at a reasonable level. And I would like to think that the uh, Opportunity Zone Fund investment allows for delivering product to the market that doesn't have to be overly priced. Um, and I'm hopeful that perhaps uh, what we're trying to do now is to attract uh, the philanthropic community. So we are in, we are in communication and talks with the uh, MacArthur Foundation uh, about 
uh, accessing some of their um, social impact dollars. Uh, we are scheduled for an upcoming meeting with Benefit Chicago, which is another philanthropic uh, organization here in Chicago to attract, again, some social impact dollars because those dollars help to uh, minimize and reduce the burden, the debt burden uh, on a project, which then enables you to deliver the units at affordable prices without the need for tax credits and therefore without the need for the regulatory guidelines that come with tax credit deals. So, um, you know, I think tax credit, uh, pairing tax credit uh, resources with opportunities on funding may work in certain uh, locations. Uh, however, I'm not a big proponent of that uh, combination being used uh, in, in, large, uh, in a large number of communities. Understood on that. So you're, you're, you're working with philanthropic organizations instead to help uh, bridge that gap, so to speak. Exactly. Um, that's a great uh, way to describe it uh, because, uh, again, here's an opportunity for uh, a collective of sources to work together. Uh, the philanthropic community, like um, the Opportunity Zone Fund and Manager and Investor, they're looking for a return on their investment, too. I mean, this is not a giveaway, and I respect that. Uh, but what they do have the ability to do is to um, sort of curtail some of what the private market is unwilling to do. Um, the philanthropic community has an opportunity or has the capacity, I should say, to sort of contain their expectations uh, on uh, they can also go out a little bit more on longer on term before I have to repay their money because they're driven by a different mission than the Opportunity Zone Fund investor. Now, the legislation is geared towards it's a mission, of, among other things. The Opportunity Zone Fund legislation is 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 mission driven. But, you know, let's face it, some people are not going to drink the Kool-Aid around the mission. <laughs> They're looking to defer, if not reduce their tax liability, and they want to make some money. And along the way, if they can do some good uh, in these communities, that's cool, but that's not a real guiding principle for them. No, I think you're right. I, th I think uh, th this tax benefit, this, this tax incentive is really just attracting a new class of investor to, to mm -hmm. impact investing. It's, you know, it's no longer going to be the domain of, of philanthropic organizations, philanthropic individuals. It's, it's now going to bring in market rate investors who are looking for the tax benefit. But, uh, you know, I, I, I say, Hey, the more the merrier when it comes to impact investing, however, we need to get some market rate investors into the game. Uh, so be it. So that's, that's why I like, I like the program overall. Cool. Uh, a, a, a lot of, real estate investment typically goes into primary markets. We were talking about this earlier in the program, and I know that investors aren't necessarily very familiar with with low-income markets, particularly those investors who aren't used to making uh, impact investments. What What is your advice to this new class of investors being attracted to Opportunity Zones who may not have real estate investing experience in these distressed areas? Well, uh, first of all, they can call me on my personal sale at 312-619-7444. <laughs> uh, 
There you go. <laughs> so my phone is going to start getting blown up, I guess. But what I would also say, uh, Jimmy, is that um, I think they should go through the proper due diligence in vetting companies like mine and others that can be good partners. Uh, entities that have a demonstrated track record uh, working in these markets who can then, uh, you know, succeed in helping them to mitigate some of the risk around this. Um, I think that that's the only way it's going to happen. They're going to need to identify boots on the ground in these communities. Now, what many of them are doing uh, to so that it doesn't become heavy lifting for them, they're, they're taking the path of least resistance. They're going to the local initiative support corporation. They're going to other intermediaries, institutional intermediaries, and they're dumping the money there and making the assumption that these intermediaries have access to the boots on the ground also. <laughs> so so they're, they're making the assumption that these entities, these intermediaries can do what they're perhaps unsuccessful at doing, or perhaps they don't really want to devote any meaningful time and attention to getting some traction in that area. So either way, uh, at the end of the day, somebody somewhere is going to have to deploy the capital. Um, and they're going to have to do it within the time guidelines uh, outlined in the IRS regs. And so uh, at some point, somebody is going to have to take a risk in a, in a zone with a group of partners um, sooner rather than later. And can you speak about the importance of geographic diversification, particularly when it comes to, you know, these secondary and tertiary low income markets where investors are not as familiar? Yeah. So I, I think um, by having uh, folks who are close to the ground uh, and have some knowledge about these markets, uh, he or she can help them identify markets that um, are stronger than others but both of which can offer the types of benefits that folks are looking for in these opportunity zones. I think um, the developer partner, such as my company, for example, need to be able to answer the question of what is the exit strategy? How do I get my money back? I have to be able to answer those kinds of questions. And I need to be able to demonstrate that uh, with the city of Chicago as quite a, uh, quite frankly, as a, a partner uh, uh, of sorts, they are looking to do these particular things uh, in these market areas. So they are helping to create a landscape that will enable us to be successful. Now, one of the things that I believe is necessary, uh, and this is what I'm discussing with Opportunity Zone Fund investors, I need you to ride it out no less than 10 years. And the reason that becomes important, Jimmy, is because it takes a little more time for these assets to appreciate in these markets than in some others. Um, and so there needs to be ample maturation time made available to enable that asset to appreciate in value so that in year 10, it has enough value in it where we can refinance and then pay the partners or the equity investors their money back as well as a preferred return on that investment. So I think that it helps 
uh, to be able to know folks who are familiar with these markets and can provide pretty good guidance on where it makes sense to sort of go first and maybe where it makes sense to go second and third. Good. And start with the end in mind, right? You need to have some sort of an exit strategy. That's when you actually get to reap the benefits of the, uh, of the third tax benefit, which is exclusion of capital gains within the opportunity zone. So that yeah. makes perfect sense to me. Well, and Lennox, I, would, I would also yeah. add, Jimmy, that, um, you know, and this is some advice I would offer to others in Chicago and outside of Chicago who are looking to put other deals in opportunity zones. It helps if it's not a one-off deal. It helps if it's part of a if that deal is part of a portfolio, because it's not always easy to deliver on one-offs at the ROI levels, the return on investment levels that folks are going to find attractive. And when I say attractive, I'm trying to hit eight and a half percent and higher. And so that's one of the reasons I'm approaching this from a project, I'm sorry, a portfolio, project portfolio standpoint, because now I uh, hedge my opportunity, I hedge my bets on being able to deliver at that eight and a half percent or higher, not contingent upon just one project. And so I think that as folks are uh, looking to put together deals in uh, various locations, they need to think about bundling several projects together. And so my portfolio, I'm looking to be just south of $50 million in terms of capital investment. That's all capital. That's uh, debt and equity. And so I think that's the way to position yourself to get the attention of the Opportunity Zone investors. And they're looking for deals that are of size. They're not looking for small deals. And so that that's another reason to sort of bundle them together. Good. Just, just to clarify that 8 to 10% number, is that preferred return or is that the investor level IRR? That's the investor level IRR. Gotcha. Very good. That concludes part one of my conversation with Lennox Jackson, but be sure to tune in for part two on the next episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, as Lennox and I discuss some of Chicago's west and south side Opportunity Zone neighborhoods. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.